Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Today, we're starting this short conversation about a topic which we're simply calling offense. And what do we mean by that? Well, it's a tricky subject in our world because what is offensive and who should be offended by it seem to be redefined daily. Does anybody else notice this? Anybody? Am I alone in kind of observing this? Make sure you let me know you're out there today. I know it's going to be quiet today because uh, we're talking about uncomfortable things, but we can do that in church, right? Good, good. See, I don't need to tell you that that's the operating principle of our world, the, the, the MO of our world. You just take a look at any news publication. It doesn't matter which news publication. And you will see stories of people getting upset at the drop of a hat. You'll see stories of people flying off the handle and doing ridiculous things for ridiculous reasons. If you could sum up the prevailing attitude of our time with maybe like a, like a gesture, it would probably be, pfft. right? Like we're just so quick, so passive-aggressive, self-righteous, and offended. We're offended people. It's a hot-button issue in our culture. It's a hot-button issue in this time, and it's escalating rapidly, exponentially, with so many people actually lining up to even take offense for things that haven't yet happened. Right? It's, just, it's bizarre the way we do this. It reminds me of like Minority Report, the old movie with Tom Cruise where they arrest people before they commit crimes. That's kind of the world we live in, right? It's wild. But the call of Jesus on our lives and the ways of Jesus we see in Scripture, and the commands of Jesus we see in Scripture call us to live a different way, to address this issue not in human ways, but in a supernatural way that he did, not defending our stance, not defending our rights, but willingly laying them down to love each other, despite the fact that we're, we're all flawed. We're called to be different, salt and light, as the Word of God says, And we have to believe the Word of God has a lot to say about our present situation and the offended nature of our people. Has a lot to say. See, there's heavy, heavy burdens and expectations placed by our culture, right? It may be a godless culture a lot of times, but it's absolutely a religious culture. You can do this, you can't do that. There's a lot of rules and regulations, and some of them, anybody else struggle to keep up with what you can and can't do? Like, it's, it's, it's amazing what's happening out there. It's baffling and overwhelming, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. It doesn't matter if it's inside or outside of churches. It's all about what you can and can't say, and standing for the right thing. Who cares if you don't actually live it out with your life just as long as you're perceived to be about the right things, right? You know, we can be really, really uh, overcommitted to looking and saying the right things, but God looks on the heart. We're going to deal with some hard issues today. Because it's exhausting to try and keep up with what's appropriate and politically correct in our society today. Thank God that we don't follow that example, we follow a better way. The most excellent way of love, as Paul calls it, the way modeled for us by the ultimate example that Jesus invites us to when he says, Come with me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. I'm not going to lay a heavy burden on you like the world does. My way light and easy. I'm going to teach you to live in a new way. It's going to set you free. How many of you guys are thankful for those words of Jesus? I mean, we need to hear that. We need that. It'll set you free. 
It's amazing to me that just before Jesus says this, he says in Matthew eleven twenty five 25, that God has hidden the truths of the kingdom from the wise of this world and given those things, revelation to those who have a childlike faith. Simple trust. I don't know, sometimes I think maybe we're too smart for our own good. Too smart to lean on him. We want to figure it out on our own. And I promise you, the kingdom without the king doesn't work. Doesn't work. So pray for us as we dive into this minefield conversation of offense. And let's pursue Jesus first. Let's rely on his grace to help us not only hear the word, but put it in practice. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need you this morning. Because as we look at the world that we live in and we look at the rapid escalation of just just hot-button issues and offendedness and, and brokenness and bitterness that we see all around us every single day, Lord, we know, we know, we know how much we need Jesus. We're thankful, God, that you promised you'll never leave us. You'll never forsaken us. You won't leave us abandoned. You won't leave us as orphans, that you are here with us every single time we call. And God, we call on you now. We pray that through your word and through the Holy Spirit being here, that you would help us have open ears and open eyes. We want to hear what you're saying, Lord. We want to hear what your word says about our own nature. And we want to be open to change, God. We give your word permission to speak into our situations, maybe even into the relationships we have this morning. And come and have your way. Because it's not about us. It's all about you, Lord. Thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth that we can build a life on as a solid foundation, not shifting. Thank you, God, that you never change and that your truth is eternal. Pray that you would help us to not just hear these words, but to apply them to our lives this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen, amen. I am thankful that we have an incredible example in Jesus to follow. And I love what John says about him. Right at the beginning of John's gospel, it says, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. The fullness of grace and truth. We don't do that very well, right? Many of us would be over here and we're all about truth. This is what it says. Here we go. This is what you need to live your life like. And grace is absent. Or maybe we're over on the other side of the spectrum and we're all about loving everybody, right? You do you, man. We're going to figure this thing out together, but truth is absent. Jesus came from the Father as the fullness of the truth and grace in one. He brought the whole truth, which shows us that we all fall short. And yet he spent his time loving on imperfect people and sinners. They called him a friend of sinners. They intended to insult him. He took it as a compliment. Grace and truth. This is the example we're called to follow in a culture which doesn't espouse truth or grace. A culture that doesn't know what forgiveness looks like in second chances. This is the the world that we live in. We're called to love aggressively and yet pursue his standards of truth. It takes a conscious effort to daily get past our overinflated sense of self, which has been instilled in us year by year, that we've been trained in and walk in his way. We can't do it alone. We have to trust him. We have to come to him. One of the key passages as we go through this series that we're going to refer back to time and time again is James chapter 1. You can turn there with me. In James chapter 1, it talks about moments like the moment we live in, moments of trial and temptation where people are drawing up battle lines and people are ostracizing each other. 
And he says this in verses 19 and 20, and I think this is just so powerful. Listen to James' encouragement to us. He says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I don't know, we can just stop right there, right, this morning? And else like, I'm going to work on that for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Because it takes, I mean, that's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing in the world that we live in to live up to this kind of standard, which is set for us it's time and time again. The ways of Jesus and the Word of God, they're always calling us to a standard which, if we're honest, it's unattainable in our own strength. We can't do that. <laughs> There's no way. But when we walk with him, as we sung about this morning, in our weakness, he is strong for us. He puts his strength in us and allows us to move as he moved. We allow him to shape his heart in us for others, even when we don't have that capability. And we see that his nature all along is refreshingly different. You know, over again in, in scripture, we see this idea. James hears, they would have been familiar with this kind of language. Quick and slow, quick and slow. Because all throughout the Old Testament, this is how God is described. Time and time again, quick to do this and slow to do that comes up. It would have been familiar to them. So often repeated, practically like another name for God is this, this, this phrase we see. It says, God is God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. He's always been a God of grace and truth. He's always been a God, slow to anger, slow to send calamity, whether it's in Exodus or Numbers, Nehemiah, multiple times in the Psalms, Jonah insults God by calling him slow, slow to anger. And God's like, you guys don't understand this thing where you're trying to insult me with my nature. It's a compliment every time, every time. Joel, all the way through to the very nature of Christ, full of grace and truth, and it's supposed to echo in our world through us. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. James hold up, holds up a mirror to our lives. But he doesn't stop there. He's not alone. The whole of the New Testament describes this process, and it's described as being conformed to the image of God. Conformed and made in likeness like him. The process we're called to go through is one of being transformed by renewing our patterns, the thinking, the way that we are made to love one another. It takes transformation every single day. Like we said this morning, Zahara reminded us, waking up every single morning and saying, you know, who's, who do I belong to today? Whose image do I bear? How am I going to walk that out in my life? And at Word of Grace, I'm excited to say that I believe our community is so full of grace and truth, and I absolutely love it. You know, one of the documents that we have, uh, that we adhere to here, along with our mission, our dreams, our core beliefs, is something that we call our code. It's the basics of who we are, the core values that that underpin how we relate to one another. Actionable. One of my favorite things is under the heading, it's not about us. It's not about us, and it says this, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take his kingdom and his message very seriously. What does it mean? It means it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. The only way to live grace and truth is when we can set aside ourselves and say, it's not about me, it's all about him. It's all about him. And in a world that tells us to discover yourself, 
Go find your passion. We follow a leader who called us to lose ourselves and daily carry your cross. A different invitation. And as we follow the example he set for us, he promises that if we will lose our lives for his sake, that we will find something worth so, so much more. The kind of life that only he can bring life more abundantly. And we need to continue in grace and truth. We need to trust that if we lay down those rights, walk with him, that he's going to be more than enough for us. We need to recognize that God is love. And we're created in his image. What does that mean about us? It means that we're created to walk daily in his love with him and with each other. With him and with each other. We're we're created daily to walk out the love of Christ in selfless, generous ways that he showed us. That is the call of scripture. But if we're honest and we look around our world, that's not what we see most often. It's increasingly difficult to live out because the world that we live in is more and more hostile towards the worldview of the kingdom of God. We're called to let things roll off of us like we're Teflon in Scripture. But has anybody else been shocked lately at just how thin-skinned everybody seems? Am I alone in noticing this, or does it seem like everybody is, like, ready, poised for a fight? We're so quick. We're so quick to get angry. And this idea that we can have the, the ways of God without God, the kingdom without the king, it doesn't pay off. This utopian ideal of live and let live, you do you, we'll all get along, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and we end up getting in more and more arguments. We end up with a society that is more anxious, more depressed, more medicated than ever. You know, quicker to take offense, with thinner and thinner skin. Can we be honest? It's a lot easier to just go with the flow. When I feel, even sometimes, like, if, if Laura has a situation at work or something like that that's upsetting her, it's a lot easier for me to just jump on the bandwagon and be like, that's terrible, right? And, like, just get complaining or something like that. It's a lot easier for me to do that than to say, you know what? The Word of God says this about your situation. It's so much easier to join in with the world when everybody's complaining about the way things are and well, could you believe what they did. It's so much easier to just jump on the bandwagon. It's tempting, because we all want to connect with one another, and sometimes it seems like misery loves company. Let's just join in, right? It's easier to join the ranks of the offended, pointing fingers, taking offense or complaining. It's like if you take the exact opposite of what James calls us to. That will look a lot closer to the patterns of our time. Think about it. Not quick to listen, slow to listen. Does that sound familiar to anybody? As we think about interpersonal relationships, whether we're distracted, whether we're apathetic, whether we just can't seem to get over our own views of how things should be, a lot of times we have really plugged up ears when we're talking to people. And I'm not talking about just outside of the church. I'm talking about every single one of us will struggle with this, but it's the pattern of our world. Slow to listen, quick to speak. Maybe we could say quick to give an opinion. Quick to be opinionated. Every app on your phone will tell you your opinion matters. But James says there's value in holding your tongue. This is a side note. We're not going to go there this morning, but I find it very interesting that the people who are saying your opinion matters, you're a unique flower and everything about that, they all design their apps by a completely different principle that says human beings can be programmed like a herd. Just think about that for a second. Fascinating, isn't it? 
We're not going to go there. <laughs> got enough side roads here, so. You know, but it's amazing to me how many valuable conversations, dialogues, from college dorm rooms to company boardrooms to the presidential debates have devolved from a two-way dialogue into people who are simply waiting for their turn to speak again. Quick to speak. Quick to say, this is my stance on that. There's so much value in listening intently and sometimes never expressing your opinion. Um, I'm going to brag for a second about Maddie, who runs our Arkland for all of our young kids. She also helps out with our youth. And one of the amazing things about our youth is this. It's very simple. Whenever it's Maddie's turn to speak, people listen. You know why? Because she doesn't just look for opportunities to, to brag about where she stands on things. She reserves her opinion until it's the time and it's the right moment that God has opened up for her to speak. And so when she speaks, people lean in. They want to hear what she has to say about it. I don't know why, but somehow in our culture, we're convinced that the more that we say, the more that people listen. You know, maybe it's just the way we're being programmed. There's so much value in listening to one another. And not just expressing our opinions, but instead letting the life of Christ in us help us to live out his ways. As St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, and when absolutely necessary, use words. A lot of times we're slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to get angry, quick to draw up battle lines, quick to get offended and to take offense with one another. You know, living with unforgiveness and bitterness and holding on to past hurts and offenses will eat you alive. It will eat you alive. Unforgiveness, one person said, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's what it does in our lives. This is the nature of our times, and it's no wonder we have a sickness spreading throughout us. We have more anxiety than ever before. We're quick to get angry. Have you ever tried to work with somebody who, um, <laughs> who, who's holding a who you're holding a grudge against them? It's like they're a different person, you know, trying to love on somebody when there's something there blocking it. You know, it reminds me of one of my favorite advertising campaigns from the last decade, so... If you're up there, can we show the video that we uh, lined up? I'm trying to see who's up there. Let's go ahead and hit play. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the dance like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. Hmm. Never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. <laughs> it never is. Pretty true, right? Anybody ever been there before? Hangry, as we call it? A little aggressive when you're hungry? You're not you when you're hungry. I just think that's genius. And that was my favorite one, uh, partially because they have Danny Trejo and Steve Buscemi in it. But... When things that happen to us that aren't fair, uh, when we're overwhelmed, when we're exhausted, when we're hungry, when we're stressed out, when we're confused, we tend to blow things out of proportion, don't we? We tend to do some crazy things, right? I think that there's a spiritual reality to this commercial, if I'm honest, because the reality that we have to recognize is that we live as spiritually hungry people, and we live in a, in a time and in a culture that is incredibly spiritually hungry. 
spiritually hungry. We know as scripture says that God has put a hunger for himself in each and every one of us. And without him trying to fill that with everything else that we try, we become something we were never intended to be. We get a little hostile when we're hungry, right? So my brother, when I was growing up, he would always be able to tell when I wasn't spending time with God. And he'd say, dude, have you not been doing devotion? Have you not been spending time with God? And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, obviously a little bit angry, chippy about it. He said, I can tell by your attitude instantly. I can tell by your hostility. I can tell, you know, that you're not you, your reactions. You're, You're coming out with your claws out. You're not you when you're hungry. We need to recognize that what we see in our culture, we have to see people as people who are spiritually hungry. What we see in our culture are symptoms. The offended spirit of our age is a symptom of a greater disease. It's a symptom that the disease has always been the same, which is a lack of closeness, lack of intimacy with the creator. You're not you when you're hungry. The more our world drives for the kingdom without the king, the more we have moments of you're not you when you're hungry. It's important that we see ourselves through the understanding of the hunger he's given us for him and that we see each other through his eyes and recognize that our world, you know, we don't need all of the answers. We need more of Jesus. We need him. He is the answer. He is the solution. And they need to see Jesus through you and me. That spiritual hunger gets met only one way, when we step up and become the hands and feet in him. They need to see Jesus when they're driving in traffic. That might preach to somebody today. They need to see Jesus at work when they're behind on their deadlines. They need to see Jesus at the store when the checkout line is way too long. You know, they need him. We can expect, though. We can expect. We should not be surprised that the world is seeming more and more hostile, should we? I mean, Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. And in a world which wants less and less to do with him, that spiritual hunger is just coming out in all kinds of ways. We shouldn't be surprised when people continue to take offense at the drop of a hat at a million different things. We shouldn't be surprised, but we're also not called to participate in that offendedness. We're not called to fight the way the world fights. We're called to fight with different weapons. We're called to fight in a different way. We're called to let go of offenses. We're called to endure through the pain and love people the way Jesus loved them until he fills that void in them and they begin to walk with him. Jesus said, pray for them. He said the world wouldn't accept him, and so why should we expect that it accepts him, or accepts us, his followers? And yet he invites us to a life that is very different than what we see, to care more about his kingdom than our own, more about eternity than our timelines, which we revolve our worlds around. We're called to be different. We're called to live unoffended, unoffended, to give up, the tendency of our age to draw battle lines, and to let things go. Another key scripture to hold on to, Proverbs 19, verse 11 says this. It says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And it's glorifying to God when we choose to overlook when we should be offended, as our society tells us. We choose instead to love on people instead of hold grudges. It glorifies him. If you walk with Jesus, I promise you this, you will have plenty of opportunities to overlook an offense. That's what the Bible tells us. In our world, we're going to have a lot of opportunities to either go, you know what? That was wrong. I'm going to just tell you what's just in this situation. Or we can say, you know what? I love you anyway. I'm not holding on to it. I'm moving forward. 
Jesus digs in, and I want to dig in for a second in Matthew chapter 5 and look at what this looks like in a practical way. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to read from verse 38 to 48. And I already apologize because this one gets me every time. So it says this, Jesus speaking, says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sounds familiar? But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if somebody wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That last bit sounds easy, right? Be perfect. Sermon on the Mount sets an impossible standard if we're trying on our own strength. It's like we said two weeks ago from theologian Douglas Jones, the Sermon on the Mount was meant to crush the individual out of us, but give life to us as the church. Notice the facts of what Jesus says here. These people asking things of you and hurting you and offending you and suing you, they may be your enemy. You're called to love them and pray for them. He starts and says, do not resist an evil person. It's not about whether that person deserves it. We need to get that in our head. It's not about whether they deserve anything. Did we deserve anything when he chose not to be offended by us? When he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Do we deserve that? We have to look at ourselves through this lens of spiritual hunger as well as each other. It may be an evil person, it may be an enemy, but responding in love is what we're called to do. We're called to be the people of God who lay down our offenses, don't draw up battle lines. We lay down our rights to take offense, and we live unoffended. You know, one of the most offensive things Jesus ever said was a story that we all love called the Good Samaritan, right? How many of you guys love the Good Samaritan? Just that title alone is offensive in his culture. Have you ever had someone be charitable to you? or kind to you when you weren't happy with them, it stings a little, doesn't it? Like, oh, I don't want to hate you more. You're being nice to me. Stop it. Like, you know, like, we get a little chippy with each other in those moments. Doesn't it just push, push your buttons a little bit? Jesus was pushing all kinds of buttons that day when he was telling the Good Samaritan story. Samaritans were the bad guys. Samaritans were the, the weirdos, the kind of ugly stepchild of the situation here. The hero of the story is who Jesus makes his Samaritan into. And he doesn't stop there. In Luke 10.35, I love this verse. After the Samaritan has, has already done so many amazing things, rescued the man, bandaged him up, put him in a hotel, paid for it. It says this, The next day he took out two denarius and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And that's the attitude we're called to live. Basically, he said, anything he spends, put it on my tab. Wow. Think about that. Think about that. This must have made the Pharisees go nuts. 
They've been holding a grudge against their neighbors up north like we hold a grudge against our neighbors up north sometimes in football. You know, for generations. And then to have that person sit there and teach them morals, that must have been insane. They're the religious half-breeds. I wonder who would be the Samaritan if Jesus told this story to us today. I wonder if we would be offended by the words of Jesus today. Because here's what I believe. If there is anything in me that holds me back from walking with him and loving on others the way he's called me to, he's going to put his finger right on it and say, what's that? What's that prejudice? What's that grudge you're holding on to? Because it's going to be like a millstone around your neck. Choosing between hanging on to a fence and moving forward in grace and truth, that's a choice he gives us. You're going to move with me? Are you going to stay drawn up, defensive, ready for a fight? See, our culture proactively takes offense, doesn't it? Seeking things that could possibly be offensive and, and silencing them ahead of time. You can't say that. You can't do that. Don't even go there. Don't get me wrong. A lot of the issues that our culture takes you know, umbrage with, there are things that do need to be addressed. Like, there are things that need to be addressed But when that offense and that offended spirit takes up residence in us and becomes the defining characteristic of our life and our identity, it pulls us out of God's plans and it pulls us into isolation where you can be surrounded by a bunch of people who are equally offended, but it's not birthing life in you at all. We're called proactively to do something different. Our culture may proactively take offense. We're called proactively to lay down our offenses ahead of time, and choose forgiveness, front grace for others. You know, my dad taught me something, by example, when I was a young boy, about racial reconciliation. See, although he wasn't personally responsible for a lot of the wounding in our city, as a pastor in Cleveland, he chose to do things different. He showed and modeled for me what it looks like to proactively repent and take responsibility by reaching out to the African-American community and pastors in Cleveland And when he was the first white pastor honored by United Pastors in Mission because he believed that even if you didn't cause the offense, Jesus calls you to be different and go the extra mile. Jesus calls you to own it even if you didn't have a hand in it and recognize that we can do something proactively that repairs wounds before they're opened. That's what the Samaritan did. He said, put it on my tab. That's what Paul did when he vouched for a runaway slave and said, anything he owes you, charge it to me. It's something that doesn't come natural to us, and we have to lean on his strength and train ourselves in it. In Acts chapter 24, Paul says, I train myself not to be offended with God or man. I train myself to let go of the offense. And it's not easy. But the call on us is to keep his priorities ahead of our own. To say like John the Baptist, he must increase and I must uh, must decrease. And it takes practice. But humility in this way offends the systems of our world, which look more and more and more like those Pharisees every single day. It opens up space for God to work in us and through us. And to bring reconciliation where we can't see a way. That's what our world looks like now. We can't see ways that we can join across the aisle. We can't see ways that we can bridge gaps that seem to be growing, but he knows. Do we trust him? Are we going to look for his solutions? You know, humility offends the systems of this world, but as it opens up space for God to work in our hearts, 
Selflessness sticks out like a sore thumb in our society, doesn't it? Jesus himself set the example for us selflessly. He never asked us to do what he didn't already do. But as he said, the Father, not my will, but yours be done. He chose to live unoffended, even to the point of laying down his life. He set aside his rights, and he calls us to do the same. You know, it doesn't surprise me that the strongest teaching Jesus gives on forgiveness, on conflict management, is found in the exact same chapter as the instruction to come to him with faith like a little child. As he talks about forgiveness, Matthew chapter 18, if you want to read something that challenges you every single day in the way you relate to others, Matthew 18 talks about forgiveness, and he makes it really, really clear. And in a world that doesn't forgive and doesn't give second chances, when he says to Peter, 70 times 7, his way is different. But we don't have that within us, and he invites us, come to me with faith like a little one of these, like a little child. Trust me. Don't try and figure it out on your own. Don't try and do it in your own strength. You can't. You need me. And it forces us humbly to recognize that I have that same spiritual hunger in me. And even if I've been walking with God for 20, 30 years, if I'm not constantly pressing into his presence and having that spiritual hunger met, I tend to react like that. I tend to read the news and go, oh my gosh, everything's, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I tend to see with my own physical eyes and not spiritualize which he wants to give us. We have to recognize that we need to lay down our own way and seek his truth. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Isn't that right? Isaiah 55. It's a journey of trust. It's a call to lay down our rights to take offense. And instead of returning fire for fire, we choose to love. We choose to forgive, to humbly repent and build bridges for God to cross into other people's lives. Fill that hole in them as well. And with this attitude in mind, I want us to read with fresh ears the definition Paul gives us of God's love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to read it in the message, and I want us to, to think about this attitude of unoffendedness and how, how we need to do it in his strength. Paul defines love and says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than it does for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. Love never fails. How many of those statements are rooted in us emptying ourselves of ourselves? We need to think less of ourselves by thinking of ourselves less and coming to him more to fill that spiritual need. Amen? Agape love in God's way involves being emptied of ourselves and filled with him on a daily basis, choosing every single day to be salt and light. Jesus warned us not to lose our saltiness, that thing, that distinct flavor which makes us stick out. Not to lose that difference, not to blend in with the patterns of this world and just get on the train of offended nature, but to constantly choose a better way, the way of love. And as offenses pile up between, Jesus, between the ways of Jesus that look increasingly foreign in our world, I believe that there are opportunities absolutely everywhere to regain that saltiness, to live differently and see it make an impact 
to see the bride of Christ distinct and beautiful and different from this world again. I believe it's an opportunity, but first we have to lay down our lives and come to him with that faith like a child. As Stephen Furtick says, every offense that comes in my life is also an opportunity for forgiveness. Every time somebody wrongs me, every time somebody cuts me in line or cuts me off in traffic, I have a little opportunity to practice his ways. We know our world is spiritually hungry. We know that there are going to be offensive actions taken against us all over the place, but the question from Jesus is simple. What will we do? Whose justice are we depending on? My prayer for us today is that we hear the call to live unoffended and commit to walking in his way again. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I want us to just stand and pray together as we close our service this morning. And maybe we need just a moment for reflection. And as we worship today, I want to let you know we're going to be up here at the altars. If you want to pray about anything, because we can hold on to things for a really long time if we're not careful. We can hold grudges with the best of them. But we want to see the freedom of Christ and his ways be our every move. We want to recognize and lay down that right to be offended. And if maybe somebody's hurt you, maybe somebody has wronged you or offended you, and you want to come and just pray over that situation, we'd love to pray with you. But let's just close our eyes and take a moment and reflect. Father, we want you to come and do like you did with the Pharisees, with the story of the Good Samaritan. Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on anything in our lives, anything in our lives that is holding us back from walking with you, from following that invitation and taking you at your word and walking with you and learning that that light and free way of living that you want to give us. Father, we recognize that our world has a lot of things it's throwing at us. And we know that the tendency to take offense so easily exists in our hearts as well. But God, we want to lay that down. So we come to you this morning, Lord. We just invite you. Change us. Change our hearts. Help us to humbly come to you and say, I recognize that I'm not me when I'm hungry either. Lord, we pray that you would continually fill us with more of you. Continually fill us with more of your presence, your spirit speaking to us every day. You promised that he would be comforter and counselor, that he would remind us of all truth. And in this moment, God, I pray that you would reveal to us anywhere where we're even holding on to something. Because God, I don't want to walk around trying to drag a ball and chain with me everywhere I go, but I know the devil's plan for me (laughs) is to isolate me is to lead me into a desert and twist the truth in my life life, and call me to to hold on to those offenses. And God, I want to lay it all before you today. Say, you have your way in me. I'm not good enough to live this way that you asked, but God, I'm trusting in your strength, not mine. So Father, as we close this morning, we pray that even as we go forth from here, Lord, I pray that you would give opportunities for forgiveness to every person here. I pray in every traffic situation, in every grocery store, Father, that we would see opportunities to choose your way. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to be offended this week because those are also opportunities to forgive and to lay it down. And God, I pray that the word of God would echo in our ears so loudly this week. Help us, Lord, not to move in our own way, but to trust that your ways are higher. Take you at your word to react in the opposite spirit 
to lay down our right to be offended and to live unoffended this week. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.